Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle. We're here today with Jen Graneman talking about highly sensitive teenagers. It often seems like the word sensitive is used as an insult or as a dig, you know, you're too sensitive, stop being so sensitive, toughen up. In our culture, we often look at highly sensitive people as weak or as overly dramatic or too emotional. But that's not actually true. Highly sensitive people actually have a lot of superpowers. They perceive, process, and respond very deeply to their environment. And they think very deeply about information and they can find connections between memories, knowledge, and ideas at a very high level. The key is not necessarily to toughen up our sensitive teens, but to give them tools for how to deal with overstimulation. And that's exactly what we're going to cover on this episode. Jen Graneman is one of the forces behind some of the world's largest online communities for sensitive people and introverts, Sensitive Refuge and Introvert Deer. She's the author of The Secret Lives of Introverts, and she's been featured in HuffPost, The Washington Post, The BBC, Oprah Daily, BuzzFeed, Glamour, and many more. She contributes regularly to Psychology Today and Forbes, and she's the author of the new book, Sensitive, The Hidden Power of the Highly Sensitive Person in a Loud, Fast, Too Much World. Jen, I am really excited to speak with you today about highly sensitive teenagers. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm excited to be here. We got a really interesting topic today. You have written a book called Sensitive, and I'm super interested to dive into a lot of the stuff you write about in the book. You got some great research in here, all kinds of topics that I think will be interesting to discuss. But can you just walk me through why we need a book on sensitivity and what kind of inspired you to write this? I think we need a book about sensitivity because sensitivity is a misunderstood trait. We're all sensitive to some degree, but about 30% of us are highly sensitive. That means we fall on the far end of the sensitivity spectrum. And sensitivity doesn't always mean what we think it means. We think of sensitive people as those who might cry at the drop of a hat or get easily offended. Yeah, they can't take a joke. Right, exactly. (laughs) You know, and crying and feeling big emotions can be a part of being sensitive, but it's a much bigger trait than that. In fact, I like to say that a better word for sensitive would be responsive. Yes, and why is that? Well, because a sensitive person simply is someone whose mind and body respond more to the world around them. They respond to external stimulation like lights and sounds or smells and tastes but they also respond more to internal stimulation, like their own thoughts and feelings and the experiences that they've had. Mm. 
I love that you talk about this on page 15 here and say that sensitivity is defined as the ability to perceive, process, and respond deeply to one's environment, which happens at two levels, perceiving information from the senses and also thinking about that information thoroughly. Yes. Finding lots of connections yes. between ideas. Yes, the sensitive mind is the mind that goes deep. Other people's minds might only skim the surface, but the sensitive person's mind thinks very deeply about the things. And I'm not saying like they, you know, sit around having existential thoughts all the time, but, you know, the mind is just reflecting on and analyzing all the information it takes in. And this is an unconscious process, usually. The sensitive person isn't even usually fully aware that they're doing it. Okay, isn't this just another word for introverted or a shy or something like that? Oh, great question. No, I would say it's not just another word for introverted or shy. Although a lot of sensitive people are introverted, they can also be shy. So, you know, you can be more than one of these words. Personally, I'm both introverted and shy and highly sensitive. But, you know, you can be very extroverted and sensitive or you can not have any shyness at all. Wouldn't that be nice? I would love that. So in that case, how do we know if we're parenting a sensitive teenager, if it doesn't exactly necessarily present as them being really kind of shy and quiet, what does it look like or how do we notice it? If you're parenting a sensitive teenager, you probably already know on some level what's <laughs> okay. happening. And just to be clear, you can be shy and introverted or anxious and sensitive too. It's a very, you know, broad range of behaviors. But you know, if you're Teen is sensitive. They've probably been that way since birth. I have a toddler who I think is growing into a highly sensitive person. And I can tell you that pretty much day one, he was a sensitive kid before we even brought him home from the hospital. Uh, so yeah, you might deep down know already. You might just not have a word for it yet. You write in here about some research on introversion and sensitivity showing that 30% of sensitive people are extroverts, where 70% are introverts. So yes, I love that you have my book and you're flipping through it. <laughs> Good job. Oh, yeah, I read this thing carefully, Jen. Great. We got a lot to talk about in here. So okay, well, that's helpful to kind of understand that there's maybe some overlap, but it's not necessarily kind of one to one. Yeah, absolutely. What kind of made you feel like this was something that more people needed to know about or be aware of? I'm a sensitive person. I always have been. I was that kid who came home and after just a seemingly normal day at school, I had to go into my bedroom and close the door, maybe turn on the lights, listen to some music, read a book, something like that, because not because I didn't want to be interacting with the people around me or going out and doing things. But it was just because being in a classroom all day was really fatiguing for me as a sensitive person. All the different people, all the different relationships, the noise, the activity, seeming like I could sense other people's needs and their emotions. It was all just a lot for a sensitive person. So but, you know, a lot of times the people in my life didn't understand that. My parents didn't understand it right away. My friends didn't always understand it. So I always felt really out of place because I loved people. 
I loved engaging with the world around me, but sometimes that world around me would just become too much and I needed to withdraw from it to recharge myself. You know, it's funny. I think that the word sensitive is often like an insult. It's like, oh, exactly. So sensitive. Stop being so sensitive. I know. And that's something we talk about in our book. But yeah, another reason I wanted to write the book was so that we could change the way the world sees sensitive people. It is often an insult. I mean, when I was writing the book, people would ask me, what are you writing about? And I would say, highly sensitive people. And you cannot believe just the, you know, the range of reactions that I got. (laughs) Some people said, oh my gosh, that's me. I had a woman in a bathroom at a concert say, oh my gosh, that's me. (laughs) That's so me. Total stranger, you know, but of course that's kind of a common experience for sensitive people that total strangers want to tell you their life story. But then a lot of times other people would say, oh, I'm so glad you're writing a book to show people how to be less offended by the world. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. How people can not be so sensitive. (laughs) Yeah. So, and I was like, oh, wow. Nope. Yeah, that's, that is, you totally missed the mark here. (laughs) what I'm talking about. Well, but I think about that, like when you were talking about being a teenager yourself and needing to kind of go home and have some space in your room to kind of decompress from the day. And I can see being a parent and seeing your kid having those kind of feelings and being overwhelmed with school and thinking like, oh my gosh, my kid is so sensitive. How can I get her to like be more, you know... Tough. Assertive or going. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How do I toughen her up a little bit Mm -hmm. so that she can go and, you know, go uh, mingle with the other kids and just get in there or whatever. And so I wonder, is that not the way we should be thinking about it? Or isn't it good to be like more thick skinned and be able to kind of get out there and just go, you know, grab life by the horns and stuff like that? You know, that's a great question. And there's certainly something to be said for helping sensitive teenagers push their comfort zones. I'm not saying that we should you know, just wrap them in bubble wrap (laughs) and say, okay, good, Dan, we'll protect you from that harsh world, right? Because we do need to learn how to make it through a tough day or even, you know, a day that might just feel overstimulating. And, you know, sensitive people especially love to connect with others. Even if they are introverted, they do love to connect with people in a very meaningful way. So sensitive people, whether they're teens or adults, do need to learn how to make those relationships that they want. Otherwise, life is going to feel especially lonely for them. So yes, we need to push their comfort zone, but we also need to do it in a way that works for them. And overall, I think we need to see sensitivity as a strength and an advantage, not a flaw that has to be rooted out. Yeah, there are a lot of advantages, I think. And it's cool, you break down kind of the different types of sensitivity. We talked already about maybe kind of the different levels, there's sort of like the response to the external world and also to the internal world. But you also talk about how there's three types of sensitivity, there's low sensory threshold, ease of excitation, and also aesthetic sensitivity. Yeah, very academic sounding terms. And we break them down in the book in a little less academic sounding way. But it does draw on research. So, you know, it makes sense that it's academic. But yeah, those are just different ways to show that people can be sensitive in different ways, essentially. You can be someone who is very sensitive to art and beauty and your surroundings. That that would be someone who has aesthetic sensitivity. I knew a painter who is a very sensitive person. And, you know, he told me that he would always have to sort of arrange the way he was looking at someone to be, have it be in an aesthetically pleasing view for himself so that he could pay attention to what they were saying because he was just so 
sensitive to the visual information that was coming in, right? And that's probably not all of us, but, you know, if you're someone who does appreciate the arts and beauty and, you know, music, fine foods, whatnot, you probably have that aesthetic sensitivity. And then the others refer to your how sensitive you are to your own environment and how sensitive you are to your internal state and your emotions. And, you know, some sensitive people can feel very overwhelmed in loud and busy environments, but for other sensitive people, maybe that's just not as big of a part of it. It really depends on you as an individual. So we talked a little bit about it is helpful to help sensitive kids to find tools to deal with overstimulation. And you have a toolkit in the book on how to work on that kind of thing and lessening overstimulation. And I wonder if we could talk a little bit about that or, you know, some tools that we could equip our kids with. But also, I start to wonder, how do we do that in a way that still like affirms the way that they are and doesn't make them feel like we're saying, hey, you know, you're too sensitive, bad to be sensitive, let me help you to, you know, toughen up a little bit. So like, you know, how do we kind of give them some of these tools and help them to build the ability to cope with some of these things, while not making it feel like we're, you know, telling them that they're bad the way they are. Yeah, that's always the line to walk, isn't it? And I don't think we as parents always get it perfect. It's hard, right? But yeah, you're absolutely right. We want to affirm that sensitivity is a good thing. But just like anything else, it can have its challenges. And so we can deal with those challenges because, you know, when you can go out and maybe not get so drained or when you can notice when you're feeling overstimulated and take some steps to correct that, then, you know, you're going to feel better and you're going to be more successful in life overall. Yeah. And I like referring to it as overstimulation because it feels like, wow, it's we're in this situation where it's like our dial is a lot more like sensitively calibrated than a lot more people's. But that means it can really, you know, when you're recording audio, if you're maxing out the channel, you know, then it's <laughs> you're not going to be able to do much with that track. And I think of it kind of in the same sort of way. That's like, you know, if you have a really sensitive microphone, you're recording something. It's awesome because then you have like so much more, you can hear all these like little things that are happening in the room and it's picking up all this stuff. But then also at the same time, it can max out a lot easier. That is a great comparison. That is exactly it. As a podcaster here in the audio space, yeah, it really makes me think about that and how just uh, sometimes there's, you know, if you're at a rock concert, you know, you maybe don't want to use a super sensitive microphone for your vocals. You want a, something that's a lot more kind of rugged and you can scream into. And all of that. <laughs> so we don't have the ability to just like swap out our internal microphone. We have to calibrate ourselves a little bit. Right, right. Oh my gosh, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, that's what an overstimulated teenager feels like. It, you know, they might be going to school and just picking up on so much more than a less sensitive kid. You know, they're picking up on the smell of the whiteboard markers. They're feeling the the brightness of the overhead lights. They're hearing the deafening noise of the cafeteria. I was a fourth grade teacher for a long time and oh wow, that cafeteria could be just deafening in its volume. Yeah, and the echo. You know, but they're noticing things that people are doing. Uh, the sensitive mind tends to be especially tuned into cues from other people. I like to say that that other people are the brightest things on a sensitive person's radar. 
so you know we're we're not just paying attention to the lights and the sounds and the smells we're paying attention to the tiny little things that other people do like a sensitive teenager might notice when their teacher comes to school and is having a bad day and you know the teacher doesn't say anything but the sensitive kid can just tell by their demeanor it's a little different today or you know, it it's friendship issues too. They will be that person who intimately knows what's going on with their friends and can just tell when something's a little bit off. So it's a lot to take in every single day if you're a sensitive teenager. It can be really hard. That's really interesting to think about. And I love that way of framing it. And it also makes me think that as sensitive people, we're going to be a lot more likely to almost read too far into somebody's expressions or like, I think they're mad at me or, mm-hmm. you know, I, or, or did I do something wrong? Like They didn't text back right away. Oh my um, gosh. <laughs> really like looking kind of almost too deeply sometimes into... I mean, I do that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? I wrote a book about it and I'm still doing that. <laughs> that. Sometimes that's helpful, like you're saying, because then we're kind of, we're more empathetic and we're able to kind of notice what's going on with people. But also sometimes maybe it's a little bit not helpful because we're kind of seeing things that aren't there going too far deep into things that we don't really need to be concerned with or something like that. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Right? It gives you a superpower to notice how other people are feeling, but then you can also turn it on yourself when you're worried that maybe you did something wrong. I think that's where it's important for sensitive teens and adults like me to learn different skills to deal with those things. I've learned in my life to ask the question, are you mad at me? Did I do something wrong? Did I hurt your feelings? Is everything okay? And honestly, I don't do it as much as I should, but I'm trying to do it more. But, you know, just having that conversation that can stop those, that wheel of anxiety from spinning in a sensitive person's mind. talking about overstimulation. And I wonder what are some of those tools that we could equip kids with to deal with that in a healthy way? Or is like, I guess, is it like about kind of limiting how much stuff is coming in? Or is like about kind of like you were talking about earlier with having some space to decompress after really overstimulating being in an environment that's really overstimulating? Or what do some of those things look like? Yeah, it's all of those things. So there's a lot of things that we can do to help highly sensitive teens deal with overstimulation. The first thing, and I think the most important thing, is to teach them to be aware of when it's happening. Because, you know, (laughs) if they were like me, I didn't even have a word for overstimulation when I was a teenager. I barely even had a word for it in my my 20s and 30s. So it just takes a long time to even be aware of what's happening. And I think it's important to teach highly sensitive people, teens, adults, to be aware of what's going on in their body. Pause and ask yourself questions. How are you feeling right now physically? What are your emotions like? What are your thoughts like? If you can catch overstimulation before it blows up into something really bad, like full-blown overstimulation, like I need to run away and get to a quiet place because I can't handle anymore and I need to sleep for three days. If you can catch it before it gets bad, then you can make some adjustments. So you can take a break to let your mind and body decompress, or you can find a way to limit that stimulation. Maybe it's through headphones, maybe it's by taking a walk, maybe it's by putting your head down on your desk for a few minutes, maybe it's by going to the bathroom, something like that. 
And then I think it's important too to just build that decompress decompression time into the day, the weekly, the day and the week. You know, so it's important for parents not to schedule too many activities for their sensitive kids. Of course, we all want our kids to do activities and to have a thriving social life. But yeah, but sensitive kids need that downtime too. So it helps to just schedule that time because they need that time to let their senses settle down and to recharge their energy. And so often, I think that just having words to describe things is just yes. so profoundly yes. helpful. And so that's a lot of what I got out of this book, too, is now, you know, having new language to talk about these things. Yeah, I think awareness is the first step. And once you become aware of it, you're going to find your own ways to deal with it. And But just having that word is so powerful. It can be just life-changing to know that there's a word for it and other people experience it. And you're not alone in what you're experiencing. It seems like some of the drama that we have in families and between siblings could come from kind of mismatches and having one highly sensitive kid with another who's not so sensitive and what how they interact with each other. Yeah, absolutely. Are you speaking from experience? <laughs> Just theoretically, <laughs> it possibly it potentially could be an issue. Right. Yeah, no, it, it absolutely can. I mean, not just with siblings, but friends and parents, grandparents. You know, I mean, anytime we don't understand what's going on with someone else, I think there's a potential for conflict there. But especially with sensitive kids, because then they get labeled as, you know, too sensitive, crybaby, toughen up. We have all these negative words for them. And yeah, that can be really hard. We're here with Jen Graneman talking about highly sensitive teenagers, and we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. The relationship deficit is happening for everybody, not just sensitive people. But it's important to talk about for sensitive people because, again, sensitive people really suffer when they don't have those close relationships. And this is true for adults. This is true for teenagers. We really need close relationships with people in order to thrive. It doesn't have to be tons and tons of people, right? You could be an introverted, sensitive person who maybe just wants one or two deep connections in your life. Or maybe you are an extroverted, sensitive person. I have a friend who is. And maybe, you know, you do have just a huge network of people, right? There's no wrong way to do sensitivity. But this is important because sensitive people are not going to feel good if they don't have those connections. And sensitive people are the ones who are very good at making those connections and helping us develop intimacy. So whereas, you know, the circumstances of modern life are often pushing us away from each other, sensitive people are seeking to draw us closer. You can love someone, but also take a step back emotionally. Their burdens aren't overwhelming to you. You can also take a step back from relationships that aren't good for you and say, I love this person, but this isn't right for me. So we can love people without having to become enmeshed in them or without having to take on their stress and their burdens and their emotions. I think for sensitive people, because we are so empathetic, it becomes easy to get swallowed up by another person and their emotions. You know, maybe our listeners have seen that with their sensitive teenagers getting swallowed up by a problem that their friend is having or something like that. I mean, 
I certainly remember doing that as a teenager myself. You know, my friend's problems would deeply become my own problems, sometimes to the point of me losing sight of my own problems because I had them or my own goals. So loving detachment can help us take a healthy step back while still showing love and compassion to the other person. Yeah, that's a great question. So like I said, we can't just wrap sensitive kids in bubble wrap. We can't protect them from everything that's going to happen to them out in the world. And we do need to help them push their comfort zone sometimes. So it's about doing it in small manageable steps so that it doesn't overwhelm your teenager. For example, maybe you want your teenager to learn how to play basketball. Well, instead of just signing them up for practice and throwing them in like you might do with a less sensitive kid, (laughs) right? You can ease them into it. So maybe you watch a movie about basketball together. Maybe you go to some basketball games together, right? And then take those steps. Maybe you practice some basketball skills at home before they even go to their first practice because sensitive kids tend to, they actually perform worse when they feel a lot of pressure and attention on them like someone is going to scrutinize them. So I remember as a kid and a teenager, it was really hard for me to show up to a soccer practice or a dance class and learn these things in front of other people. And I felt like I was messing up. And the more I messed up, the more my anxiety went up. So just giving them some sort of basis to start that activity, that can really help. The more we can prepare sensitive teenagers ahead of a situation, whether, like I said, it's joining basketball practice or maybe going to a birthday party or sleepover or their first school dance or something like that, right? The more we can help them feel prepared for the situation, the better they'll do. Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get access to all the interviews I've conducted as well as new episodes weeks before the general public. It's completely affordable and your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.